Welcome to Breast Friends Cancer Support Network. Your host is Michelle Beck. Our show is here to help breast cancer patients, survivors, thrivers, their friends and family by providing resources, support, and inspiration they can use right now. Here is your host, Michelle Beck. Hello and welcome to Breast Friends Cancer Support Network and thank you so much for joining us today. My name is Michelle Beck. I'm a two-time nine-year survivor of breast cancer. I'm the patient programs assistant at Breast Friends of Oregon, whose mission is to ensure that no one goes through cancer alone. And when I have time, I write at a blog called I Never Liked Pink. So today is one of my favorite kinds of episodes. It's where someone has gone through a cancer journey themselves and come out on the other side and develop something fabulous. And so I'm so excited to talk about it today. So my guest is Jenna Ben Scherscher. She's the founder and CEO of Twist Out Cancer, a nonprofit which provides psychosocial support to previvers, survivors, caregivers, through creative arts programming, through a couple different ways, which really can serve as a good mechanism for healing. So Jenna, welcome, and thank you so much for being here today. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yes. So tell us a little bit about yourself, the the non-cancer side, because we'll get there. Okay. Non-cancer side is I'm 40 years old. Um, I live in Bryn Mawr, Pennsylvania, about 10 miles outside of Philly. We moved here... I want to say about six years ago, my husband is a thoracic surgeon focusing mostly on lung cancer, esophageal cancer. And after he finished training, we moved out here. I'm originally from Chicago. I have two miracle babies, Noah Pearl, who's seven, and Lilu Ruth, who is 14 months. So we are busy over here. Congratulations on that. And I'm going to get really personal here on your miracle babies. Did you go through IVF? Well, so I went through egg freezing right before Mm -hmm. I started chemotherapy and I had two natural children all on my own, even when I was told I was in menopause and that odds were not in my favor. I love that. I actually, my show on May 4th was about fertility preservation and we talked all about egg freezing Mm -hmm. and the, the doctor, she was a reproductive endocrinologist, gynecologist. And we Mm -hmm. talked about how that does happen for so many women who go through this, they're told you're not going to do this. And then they end up going through the egg freezing process, et cetera, and then spontaneously get pregnant. So yeah. I love that story. Thank yeah. you for sharing. Um, and so you have been through a cancer diagnosis, not breast cancer, but something called gray zone lymphoma, which is incredibly rare. I, I it's like 0.5 in, in, a million. I mean, something like that is oh, the odds. Yeah. It's crazy. So There's it's like none of us. <laughs> yeah. It's like th- I was trying to do the math. 300 people in the U S is what, what the yes. statistics are. Right. Wow. So tell us what that is and how you found it. Yeah. So back in 2010, I was, um, working out a lot. I was in a new relationship and, you know, it was, I was not paying attention at all to diet. I was just kind of doing my thing, but I was getting more into the gym and was losing weight. And it was pretty quick. Um, not, you know, I, I'm not, not a, the weight loss plan you were looking for. No, no. I mean, I lost probably 20 pounds in a month and a half, and that was without paying attention to anything and not really mm-hmm. changing much in terms of my lifestyle. And, but what I was noticing aside from the weight loss was that 
I was really fatigued. So I was someone that was used to sleeping probably about seven hours a night. Um, I was, I've always been an early riser and I was finding that in the mornings, I was having a hard time getting out of bed. I'd come home from work. I'd have to take a nap before doing anything. And so that mm-hmm. my level of exhaustion was really, it was pretty intense. Um, like even midday, I mean, it was like, I could have napped multiple times a day and it would have not felt like sure, enough. And then I came down with flu-like symptoms and kept going to, you know, the doctor and saying, you know, I've got fever, I've got night sweats. And they just kept saying that I've got, I had a couple of bad cases of the flu and I knew that that wasn't right. And then I, I want to say in February of 2010, I ended up in the ER with what they thought was viral meningitis. So I was really having a hard time kind of moving my head. I had pinched nerve pain that was presenting kind of strange. And with viral meningitis, you can't really do much. So you just Mm -hmm. kind of wait. So I was monitored. They gave me fluids. They sent me home. I was having these kind of like freakish things happening. Um, And I just kept going back to the doctor. And then finally, I went into the orthopedist for the second time in a month. They thought that I had this pinched nerve. It went away right away with steroids. And then I came back and I was really actually at this point having trouble breathing. I was having trouble moving my neck and my head. Mm-hmm. And the the breathing part is really when I started to get pretty terrified because that was just a whole yeah. new thing. Mm-hmm. Um, it was because of this orthopedist that she said, you know what? I think we're going to get some imaging done. We haven't looked inside to see what's going on. And, you know, I had a MRI that led to a PET scan and sure enough, they found a bunch of tumors in my chest and it went very quickly from there. So how long was that process to when you started feeling the extreme fatigue and the weight loss until you actually got the scans? Almost a year. So this thing was growing for a long time Um, and it was a really aggressive cancer. So Mm -hmm. I'm pretty sure that I presented. Yeah. I mean, like I, I, I remember going on a trip in December and January and feeling, starting to feel fatigue. And then February I was in the hospital. So it was, mm-hmm. it wasn't until December of 2010 that I was diagnosed. And so it was a lot of back and forth, a lot of really having to advocate for myself and say, mm-hmm. this is not right. This is not the flu. This is not a pinched nerve. Um, and I'm happy that I was aggressive about it in a way. Yeah. You yeah. have to be, and it's not that the, the medical system doesn't care, but they're incredibly overwhelmed. So it really is the, the old adage of the squeaky wheel gets the grease. So yeah. if you know that something is wrong, you have to keep at it until they figure it out. So I applaud oh, you for that. Wow. What is, what is the treatment protocol for what you went through? It was kind of interesting. So when they saw me initially and they, you know, they did a biopsy, they did all the imaging and everything. Um, they diagnosed me initially with Hodgkin's lymphoma because here I was, I was 29 years old. I was otherwise healthy. They didn't think that it could be really anything else, but I was really lucky that the oncologist that I went to Dr. Leo Gordon at Northwestern, he had the insight to say, you know what, I think we should just get this looked at further under a microscope. And so my, my slides were sent, um, to Elaine Joffe, Dr. Elaine Joffe, who's out in Maryland. And she looked further and sure enough, it was not Hodgkin's lymphoma. It was actually Gray's own lymphoma. And I feel so grateful for that decision because had I been treated with a Hodgkin's lymphoma regimen, I most likely would have relapsed. That is pretty typical, especially mm-hmm. a lot of the gray zoners, the few of us that I've connected with, 
that seems to be the common stories that they present. They think it's Hodgkin's, they end up relapsing, and then it's a lot more intense in terms of trying to get them well. So I was really lucky that Dr. Leo Gordon had seen someone previously with gray zone and had wondered, could it be this? And during that period of time, what was also interesting is that it took a while for them to really analyze the slides. And I had, during that period, while they were going through more tests and I was waiting, I, I actually went through for treatment then. So mm-hmm. during that period of time, I asked my doctor, could I take this month and go through this? He was on board with it. And it was during that month period that they then analyzed and found the right diagnosis. So, it, it, you know, it, no one tells you this, but in the beginning, those, that, those beginning choices that are made are so important. I mean, mm-hmm. getting the right diagnosis nailed down from the beginning can really change your whole course of, of how it goes. So I, you know, treatment regimen was very intense. They actually treated me with a really intensive uh, leukemia regimen. Okay. Um, so I went from being what I thought was going to be outpatient once every three weeks. I was inpatient for about six days. Um, I had continuous chemotherapy for 120 hours at a time, mm. hooked up, couldn't leave the hospital. Um, and then I would go home for two weeks to recover and then come back. Yeah. So I did that for about four and a half months um, of learning to sort of exist between the hospital and between my studio apartment in Chicago. And the time in terms of the recovery obviously became much more intense. Like, you know, you go from having a week and a half of feeling okay to then having a couple of days because the it just is cumulative in that way. Um, and then I ended up with sepsis, which was probably mm. the serious part of all of it where, I mean, I felt like I was pretty close to my deathbed at that point. I had a probably urinary tract infection that went crazy and my port was infected. And so I ended up for what I call round seven and stayed in the hospital for another week. Um, and the recovery from that was excruciating. It was horrible. And that hair had to be so incredibly disheartening because that was at the end of your journey. You've, you oh, yeah. finished chemo. You're like, I'm done. I'm at the finish line. And then you get sepsis. Like what the hell? Yes, <laughs> I was going back to work. I was dressed mm-hmm. in my work clothes and I could barely get out of bed. I was in so much pain. It's like, there's something wrong. And I, yeah, I was escorted by ambulance to, um, Evanston hospital because the hospital where I was treated at didn't have room at the time. And they sent me home, not really knowing what it was. And then I was readmitted to Northwestern later that day. It was, it was horrible. Yeah. How how is your health now? Health is great now. Thank you. I feel so lucky. Um, you know, this was a really horrible and hard period of time. I, I say that it really was like a year, even though my chemo was four and a half months, it took a full year, I would say to feel it's not even like myself, but to feel like a semblance of myself. Um, but now, I mean, I feel really grateful. I've had two kids. I have, you know, my body has changed in so many different ways and exercise and taking care of myself are a very big part of my life. It's front of mind all the time. And I feel grateful that I have not had to deal with another cancer scare. Um, Definitely. And when we talk about that, definitely in the breast cancer community, that to even get back to a feeling of a semblance of normal, it's at least twice and sometimes three times the length of your treatment. So if you were in treatment for a year, it might be two or three years before you even begin to feel somewhat normal. So it just takes a long time. And I'm guessing before your diagnosis, you you were 28, 29, you're busy, you're working full time, you're dating, you're going to the gym, you, you were living it up. Mm-hmm. And then, then you were diagnosed and you, was that very isolating for you? Because at that age, 
most people are not getting diagnosed with cancer. How, how was that for you? Oh, it was, it was probably the hardest part. I mean, to me, I always thought about cancer as an older person's disease. You know, Mm -hmm. at that point, like I, I had great uncles that had had colon cancer and, you know, they, that was like in their seventies and eighties. It was not someone that was in their twenties. I had known about, um, you know, a couple of younger people in my neighborhood that had passed away from leukemia and that was horrible, but still, I didn't think about it as something that young adults get. It wasn't even on my radar. Like when I was getting sick, I did not immediately think it was cancer. I just thought maybe I had an autoimmune disease or there was Mm -hmm. something else that was unexplained. Um, so, you know, to me, it was, first of all, I was a young adult with cancer. And then I had this super rare type of cancer where there was no community around me. Um, I felt like really disconnected from my family and friends. And so it was really important to me to be able to connect with people that were like me, Mm -hmm. that were further out from me, or that had had an experience with cancer or had some kind of health crisis that they had to manage. And so I was really lucky that early on in my journey, I met this unbelievable man named Johnny Immerman, who is the founder of Immerman Angels. He's just like, he's an angel. He really is an angel. Um, And he had built a young adult community of people touched by cancer. And it was because of him that I felt like I was brought into this new community that was, it was normal. I mean, I was diagnosed on December 20th. And I remember on December 31st going for a tea with him and another cancer survivor, and they made it like a normal experience. And they let me know that they were going to be there for me. And all of a sudden I started to learn how to make friendships in the cancer community and they became just as important, if not more important than my friends and family at the time. So it It was was so critical. Yeah. hundred percent important to have people who get it. That's it's finding your people that, that can make it easier and sharing the grief and the trauma of what you've been through. But I know from doing research and, and looking at all your stuff, this is how twist out cancer was born was during this period of isolation. So how did that happen? Yeah. I mean, so you know, it's so interesting. Like when you go through, when when you're staring at your mortality in the face and you don't know if you're going to make it to the next year, you start to kind of do things that you probably wouldn't have done. So for me out of your comfort zone. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Because you, you feel like you don't have anything to lose. Right. So it's like, I knew that I was sort of on borrowed time and wanted to make the best of it. And I wanted to try and reconnect with parts of myself that I felt had been quieted for so long. And so, you know, I grew up doing musical theater and dancing. And when I got to college, I got to do a little bit of that, a little bit after college. I was, I did a couple of performances, but really when I was a professional, I, I wasn't involved in any of that. And it was really important for me to kind of reconnect with this body that I no longer recognized. And so it started really with, you know, working out and trying to train something and set a goal. But then I realized that not only was it important for me to get back to movement, but dancing really was bringing me a lot of joy. And I I could dance on the days when I was sort of in between treatment before going into the hospital. Um, So I started dancing again, and then I also started writing and that was really unexpected. I just remember writing in a blog at the time it was called kill it in the butt. It was a ridiculous name. (laughs) 29. I started writing, and it was like really a primary coping mechanism for me. It was a way to update family and friends. And so all of a sudden movement and writing became so central to what I was doing. And 
So while I was going through treatment, I was writing in this blog and people started viewing and reading and following along and I couldn't understand why there was such interest. And so I decided halfway through treatment, I wanted to see who these people were because I was so interested in these statistics. Like I didn't know people in so many of the countries that were tuning in. And, and so I ended up putting out a call to action of me doing the twist. And it was this horrible video I posted on YouTube and on Facebook. And <laughs> And who was joining me on the dance floor. And then a couple of days, we had people twisting out cancer and it was just amazing. It was amazing. What kind of a reaction did you get from friends and family? Were they surprised? Like, I, I mean, sure they knew you as a dancer, but like who, who, what is Jenna doing? Like, <laughs> no, I don't think they were surprised at all. I think, I think that probably some of my friends were surprised at how raw and open I was being because I, I can be somewhat private. And I think to me, it just felt like I needed to be out there and to be very in your face about it. And I, I allowed myself to be very vulnerable and in turn, people were then very vulnerable with me. So it was this really interesting sort of give and take that happened. And, and I, um, yeah, so I, I think that they weren't surprised that I was dancing and doing these things. I think people were surprised by the reaction. I mean, we had thousands of videos within a couple of days of people twisting out cancer and it was it was so lighthearted and it really transported me into so many different settings that I wasn't able to be a part of. Now, I know this was 10 years ago. Plus are, are those still available somewhere to view? Oh yeah. Yeah. You can go. Dig okay. It. Yes. Okay. And there are some of them are on our YouTube channel too, but the, the original video is definitely there. It's a horrible video. Like, I mean, it would never fit TikTok standards <laughs> or any of that now, but it was great. It was very, it was very real. Well, I'm, I'm 50. I've done like two TikTok videos. I'm like, yeah, this is not, this is not my thing, <laughs> but I completely can identify with the, the openness and the rawness, because at that point you're like, I have cancer. I may die. Like, and right. obviously my, mine wasn't, I was caught very early stage, but still you, when you're coming to face-to-face with something that can kill you, it really opens up your brain. And writing for me was also a huge mm-hmm. cathartic experience. And I'm currently in the process of compiling all my writing from the last nine years. And I'm, oh, wow. I'm, I'm getting a book out this year. I'm published self-publishing on Amazon in October. So good for you. That's amazing. So That's amazing. I, I keep saying it more and more. So people will hold me accountable. Like, Hey, how's your book coming? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You'll have to let me know when it's out. I would love to read it. Oh, I will. Thank you. But we, we, when we come back from break, we are going to dig into everything about the fabulous organization, Twist Out Cancer and what it does for so many around the country. So please stay with us. We'll be back in a minute. Listeners, if you need something from Breast Friends, please go to our website, breastfriends.org and check out patient programs to see what we can do for you. Stay with us. We'll be back. Thank you for listening today. Breast Friends needs your support. We rely on donations to continue our mission that no woman goes through cancer alone and to keep the show going. Please consider making a tax-deductible donation to Breast Friends. You can text BF Radio to 41444 or visit us at breastfriends.org to donate. You can also like us on Facebook at Breast Friends of Oregon or follow us on Instagram at Breast Friends PDX. Be sure to tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific, 12 p.m. Eastern Time for Breast Friends Cancer Support Network. You are tuned in to Breast Friends Cancer Support Network. To reach the program today, please call us at 1-866-472-5792. 
Again, that's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to Michelle Beck at breastfriends.org. Now, back to the show. Thanks for staying with us. I'm Michelle Beck, and my guest is Jenna ben Scherscher, and we are going to talk about Twist Out Cancer, this amazing organization that really helps patients, caregivers, thrivers after the cancer process and beyond with, with healing and, and connection. So Jenna, tell us now about Please Twist Out Cancer and what it does and its mission. Yeah, so pretty much like a couple months after I finished treatment, I knew that I wanted to give back to the community that was so giving to me. And so put together a team of people that were smarter and more skilled at lots of different things. And we started Twist and Twist initially was a platform for people to share their twist on cancer and put out calls to action that are meaningful to them. It started as this very like call and response idea um, because that's how twist came to be. Like, that's how I started to get videos. I said, this is what I need, do this. And the community responded. And so I really wanted to be able to do that for others. Um, But then I started to realize that there were some barriers to entry. So not everyone is as public as me. Not everyone wants to be on camera is wanting to like document all of the things um, as it relates to their cancer experience. And so we were attracting a very specific type of person and I felt like we weren't helping enough people. And so then we, a couple months in started to change course. And so now really what Twist Out Cancer is about is about providing psychosocial support to individuals touched by cancer through creative arts programming. So what does that mean? It means that we try to empower people to come forward with their story and we use the creative arts as a mechanism for healing. So everything that we do is about storytelling and is about leveraging the creative arts to help aid in that process. So we run two programs. One program is called Brushes with Cancer and it's essentially a six month program that matches people touched by cancer with artists. And the artists are charged with creating a unique work of art that's reflective of that person's journey with cancer. So we call them inspirations. And those inspirations can be anyone that identifies as having been touched by the disease. So it could be a survivor, someone that's heard those three words, you have cancer, a previvor, it could be a caregiver, it could be a friend. So it's, you know, there are so many stories out there that we feel like deserve to be told. Um, And the artists really do an incredible job articulating their story. And I think through that process of storytelling and then creating a work of art, you're able to see your journey through someone else's eyes and that can be incredibly healing. Um, so that's brushes with cancer. And then we before, also have before, twist shops. Before hey, we move on to the twist shops, yeah. I want to talk more about brushes yeah, sure, because sure. I, um, you invited me to attend your, the virtual session of your last um, brushes with brushes with cancer gala and exhibition where, cause it's a six month program. So you do two of these a year and it was the Southern one. And so it was based in outside of Austin, Texas. Is that correct? Yes. And it literally, so for the, the hour that I was able to attend virtually, you had had things before and it was like a, it was like a barbecue and mm-hmm. um, people could view the, view the art, but what you shared with those of us who were online was the stories And it was really amazing to see the connections between the inspirations and the artists and the different things that they took from it. And it's not, it wasn't, the art isn't about cancer. It's about the healing and the stories, which it literally, it touched me. Like I was, I was sitting here, my, 
my husband was out of town. So my son was sitting next to me on the couch doing something and I'm on the computer just watching and like tears were just streaming Whoa. down my face. And he's looking at me. He's like, mom, what's wrong? I'm like, nothing. They're happy tears. And it was, I can only imagine for you being able to do this. How, how are your artists and inspirations matched up together? How do you find those connections that you feel like will be a good thing? Yeah. Well, it's so interesting because COVID changed things so much too. So for a while we were looking at geography and it was important that you could meet in person. And, um, but oftentimes what's so interesting about our artists in particular is a lot of them actually have a cancer history. And so sometimes we'll have a, an artist that's also a breast cancer survivor, and we may match that person up with a previvor who where that artist is going to understand what that journey looks like, right. Yeah. And understand the questions that that previvor might be wrestling with. So we look, we, we have, thank, thank goodness. Our clinical director has done an amazing job at actually implementing like real psychological assessments. Cause we want to see what is their support system? Like, are mm-hmm. we it? If we're it, it may not be the right fit. Are they introverted or extroverted? How do they deal with crisis? Like we ask a lot of really thoughtful questions of both the artist and the inspiration. And then from those ratings, we're able to see where they fall. Um, and some of it has to do with matching based on their scores. And then other parts of it are, we know so many of the people that are applying. So much of this has been through word of mouth. We also have so many artists that come back to us and, and repeat with us. So we know what their style is like. We know what they what their personalities are like. So we spend a lot of time, I will tell you, as a team, it's really our staff um, that goes through the applications really thoroughly and tries to make those matches. And we've had a lot of experiences where it has felt very meant to be, like we couldn't believe that they hadn't intersected earlier in life, right? But we've mashed them together and it was like they were supposed to be together. So it feels very it can be very powerful, especially when it ends up being a really meaningful relationship. And we've been very lucky to have a lot of those. And, and some of them are not as deep and best friend, like, right. Like, so we've had, you know, we have one woman who's on our staff, August Spree, who actually fell in love with her artist and they blended their families and they live together. And it's, this oh my gosh, I love that. <laughs> yeah, that was almost nine years ago. And they're huge advocates of our work. It's amazing. That's not a typical situation. We sure. don't necessarily want that for all of the people. I mean, you could put that. on your site matchmaker. Right. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. But we have had some really interesting stories like where it has really impacted people's thinking and what they do next. And I like to refer to that almost as like ripple effect. So I'll give you an example of, of two lovely, lovely humans. I love them so much. So there was Roe Kruvi who I I got connected to through a friend out here in Philadelphia. He had testicular cancer and never spoke about it. He was, he felt sort of a sense of shame about it. Of course. His grandfather also was a Holocaust survivor Mm. and he did not want to let him know that his grandson was diagnosed with this disease that could have been terminal. And so he kept it, he hid it from a lot of the family members and had not been outspoken about it. I ended up matching him with a friend of mine that I had known for years prior to my um, twist out cancer career. I I was involved with him at my work at the Anti-Defamation League, and he was a professor at Northwestern. His name is Danny M. Cohen, and he's just amazing, but he studies, he he is really a leading educator on the Holocaust. And so when I read about Roe's grandfather, and then I Mm -hmm. know Danny and his background, I thought they would be an amazing 
connection point. And not only did they have this unbelievable friendship, but Danny, who's been this professor at Northwestern forever, started to really tap into this artistic side of himself that like myself had been quieted for so long. And he was sort of this aspiring singer songwriter. And he ended up taking some time and cutting back his hours at Northwestern and pursuing artistic endeavors. And, and here we are a couple years later, I think it's four years later now, Rowie just got married and Danny married them. And it's like, this amazing, like they're forever connected to each other. So and really, I mean, Rowie felt really empowered to be able to come forward with his story now. And mm-hmm. I just, I love hearing sort of like the impact of the program, not just on the immediate, because yes, of course, we want them to feel like they've opened up and made a friend, right? Mm-hmm. And have been able to reflect on their experiences. But I love years later hearing about how, what the intersection has meant to them, you know, moving forward. And so I love getting emails and updates on people in our community and how they've been impacted years later. It's pretty amazing. How can, if someone is interested in becoming either an artist or an inspiration, how do they go about that? Yeah. So like you mentioned, so we do two regional programs a year. We're also really excited. We're, we're doing some more what we call licensing programs where we work with a partner organization or a company to actually run the program. So we have a couple coming up. So our Midwest program is sort of underway. That will take place in November. And we're very excited. It's going to actually be at the Wonder Museum in Chicago. So all the art will be displayed in a museum. Oh, how amazing. amazing. Yeah, it's very exciting. But we also have a couple of partnerships coming up. So we're working with the Rolf Foundation, which is a pancreatic cancer support organization based in Chicago. We'll be looking for artists for that program. We also have Wayne State University is working with their art therapy and design students to be creating works of art. And we'll be looking for inspiration. So people touched by cancer for that program. Um, And then we have Henry Ford Cancer Center, which is another amazing institution where it's going to be their inspirations and our artists. So those programs are coming up. We will have rolling admissions for that. So if people are interested in participating, they can absolutely go on our website. They can email me at jenna at twistoutcancer.org if they're interested, and we'll find them the right program depending on the timing and everything. Perfect. And the website also is twistoutcancer.org. So you can go and all the information is on there. One thing I thought was really amazing about the exhibition was that the art is actually auctioned off and mm-hmm. all of the proceeds go back into your organization yes. because you are a nonprofit yes. and you're, you know, this is, it, it all takes money. It, you know, everything takes yeah. funding. And so doing that is, is pretty amazing. And do you find that the inspirations end up purchasing their art or others do? How does, what do you, what's the typical sale process for that? It's such a mix. So we always open up the auction to the inspirations and artists a couple of weeks before it's open to the public. And we say, listen, here it is. If you want to purchase it outright, you can purchase it outright and not deal with the auction. Mm -hmm. And that is an opportunity for inspirations and artists to go around to their family and friends and say, listen, I'm being honored at this event. Would you consider doing this? Or, you know, sometimes family and friends know about it already and like secretly purchase like on their behalf. Mm -hmm. Um, We also have had strangers, you know, exhibit incredible acts of generosity where they'll say that inspiration has to have their piece. I'm going to gift it to them and I'll gift it to them anonymously or I'll gift it to them publicly. And then I'm now connected with them. Sure. We've had really beautiful things happen too. Or, um, we had this, we have this amazing woman, Kim Cass, who's now on our board, who we honored a couple of years ago in Austin and her family, she was in the midst of treatment as she was going through the program with us. Mm -hmm. And her family knew that she was being honored at the event. 
And for weeks, I was getting these like $18 checks or $36 or whatever, Mm -hmm. like small amounts from tons of people. And they all rallied together to purchase the art for her. So it was like this beautiful act of, of love. And we, Mm -hmm. we see incredible generosity happen. And so that is such a really wonderful part of the auction and the funds raised go directly back into the program. So it's really an interesting model because our participants in the Austin program are then funding the Midwest program. So by participating in the program, they're then allowing for another group of participants to be involved. So it's, it's really beautiful. And twist out has become so successful. You actually left your full-time job to become the CEO of this, this thriving organization. So that feels, must feel pretty good. It does, but it's been a labor of love and it was not overnight. I can tell Mm -hmm. you that, you know, I mean, twist started in my nights and weekends and early mornings. It was what I, you know, it was what I was most passionate about. And it was only when we moved to Philadelphia that I felt like, you know, if I'm going to bring this organization to the next level, I have to really commit the time and just take the leap. It was like we had only grown so far Uh and I could only do my full-time job and raise at the time a 16-month-old. I I just had too many jobs, quite honestly. Uh Um, So it was a big decision. It was scary. It was me and one other person who was very part-time at the time. and. And it was really hard transition for me initially. I mean, I worked at the Anti-Defamation League for almost 10 years. Mm-hmm. I had an incredible team around me. I was wor- uh, used to working in an office with 20 people and managing people. And then all of a sudden I was at a WeWork by myself on Zoom. And it was it was weird. Mm-hmm. And then it just really picked up. And we were able to grow, especially during COVID, which was a super strange period um, to have growth, but it was wonderful. But companies and organizations that can adapt to the online model has really made all the difference in the world. And, and for, for my organization, we used to do, everything was in person workshops, support groups. And now we actually can do it over zoom and reach so many more people. I mean, we are, we are getting back to doing in-person things, especially now that summer is coming, but being able to have like tomorrow night, we have a newly diagnosed group and Mm -hmm. there are people, they're mostly from this area, but some are from other parts of the country, which is amazing that we can, you know, just log on and be like, Hey, how you doing? And, you know, they might not have support where they are. So they've found us. And I'm sure that's the same thing with you. Yeah. Yeah. It's really like it's made our programs a lot more accessible. Yes. Okay. Now I'll let you talk about the twist shops. I had all these other <laughs> no, questions. Okay. <laughs> is like, yeah, I mean, <laughs> brushes is such a big part of what we do. Sometimes people think the organization is called brushes with cancer. I have to be like, mm-hmm. Stout cancer, but um, yeah. So twist shops are easy. They're um, they're led by our amazing staff member Jackie Carmody, who's a licensed clinical art therapist. She is amazing. She created a beautiful curriculum that's all art therapy focused, and we we work with children, we work with adults, we work with people dealing with all different types of stuff. And um, the the twist shops focus on anything from anxiety and depression to grief, to newly diagnosed, to living with metastatic disease, to Mm -hmm. sexual identity and health and reconnecting with your body, all different types of subject matter. And they rotate. And we've been really lucky to have a number of trained facilitators around the country that then can lead these groups in their area or online. And 
And it's nice. And like you said, similar to what you guys are doing. I mean, we were able, like during COVID, we actually opened up our twist shops to anyone. It wasn't just cancer focused because we felt like there's so much similarity between what all of us are living with right now in terms mm -hmm. of being locked in and being so nervous about our own health and well-being that everyone was anxious. Everyone was feeling, uh, you know, grief. So there was so much parallel that we ended up opening it up. And it was really interesting. Like our community grew tremendously. And it was, you know, there was, of course we talked about cancer, but we talked about a lot of other things that were related to. So um, yeah, it's been, it's been awesome. So are the twist shops more like a, a one-off, like it's a one session type deal. And is that correct? So they often are like, but not always. So we just wrapped up a whole, um, a whole session on body image and mm, so important after cancer. Oh my gosh. Totally. And during too, right? Yes. So we had mm -hmm. some that were in currently in treatment. Um, and that was a six session model and it was wonderful. And it was a small group. I think there were about eight people and it was the same eight. And so they sort of have this own little support network now and it's been beautiful. So we also will work with other organizations too and do one-offs um, on a topic that they feel like is important. So it really depends. Yeah. And are those virtual as well? Yeah, they're virtual. And then like, okay. like you, we're starting to do some in person too, but okay. for now, mm -hmm. I don't think we have anything booked in person until June. Okay. Um, it's virtual. And I've, I read a statistic somewhere that you've reached a hundred and over 146,000 individuals. Yeah, That's great. amazing. In the, the tenure tenure is just unreal. Thank you. Thank you. I mean, that's the power of being online, right? Mm -hmm. Like we started online, then we went into in-person. Now we're kind of back online and in-person. So you can reach a lot more people. And we've been really grateful to, we have so many people that are involved and so many amazing volunteers and staff members that have allowed us to hit those kind of numbers. So it's been awesome. I love that. So we do need to take another quick break. So listeners, please stay with us. If you would like to be my guest or share your warrior story, please go to breastfriends.org and you can find information on there under the podcast, or you can email me at michellebeck at breastfriends.org. Stay with us. We'll be back. Thank you for listening today. Breast Friends needs your support. We rely on donations to continue our mission that no woman goes through cancer alone and to keep the show going. Please consider making a tax-deductible donation to Breast Friends. You can text BF Radio to 41444 or visit us at breastfriends.org to donate. You can also like us on Facebook at Breast Friends of Oregon or follow us on Instagram at Breast Friends PDX. Be sure to tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific, 12 p.m. Eastern Time for Breast Friends Cancer Support Network. You are tuned in to Breast Friends Cancer Support Network. To reach the program today, please call us at 1-866-472-5792. Again, that's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to Michelle Beck at breastfriends.org. Now, back to the show. Thanks for staying with us. I'm Michelle Beck, and I'm here with the CEO and founder of Twist Out Cancer, Jenna Ben Schurcher, and we are talking about the amazing programs that her organization runs. Now, Jenna, we've talked about this, but I just want to clarify, can anyone with any type of cancer participate in these programs or previvors, which is those who are genetically dis, dis genetically 
predisposed. Thank you. Yeah. The cancer brain <laughs> predisposed and, but you've also opened it up to others who just, who really need the support at this time. That's correct. Yeah. I mean, it's super inclusive community. So we, we see anyone from someone that's in active treatment to people that are 10, 20, 30 years out from treatment, caregivers, friends, family members, people that have been impacted. It's, it's, as you know, it's a disease that doesn't just impact the individual. It impacts the entire inner and outer orbit of that person. So we feel like everyone deserves a place at the table. That's so special. That actually brings me to what I was going to mention to you over break, but I'll just do it here. There's an amazing organization out there called Kesem, K-E-S-E-M.org. Are you familiar with them? Yeah. And um, I actually got to speak this weekend at their fundraising gala for Oregon. Amazing. So my son has been, um, for those of you who don't know, if if you haven't listened to probably every show, I mentioned it. um, Kesem is an organization who helps out children whose families have been impacted by breast cancer and provides them a week long free summer camp. And it's literally staffed by volunteer college students which is just amazing. So if you have been through cancer, please check out Kesem.org. So sorry, back, back to twist oh, out. But- amazing. They are amazing. We mm-hmm. partner with them. We love them. They're yes, they're doing life-changing work. And it's yes. so important for kids who's, who've had a parent impacted by cancer to have a place and an outlet to connect with other people that have experienced yeah. something similar. So my son is literally counting the days. Um, and so I got to make my own name tag this weekend at the event. And my, I've chosen my camp name is Phoenix. So I, I felt like that was very good, but um, <laughs> let's, let's get back to twist. Um, how are you, you're a nonprofit. How are you funded? What yeah. can people do if they would like to help donate? So, so many of our funding comes from individual donations, honestly. I mean, still, uh, we still, we, you know, we have a couple of grants that we thankfully have secured and wonderful foundations that have gone in behind us, but really it's mostly from individuals like, like our listeners that are here with us. Um, you know, so much of our revenue also comes from Brushes with Cancer in terms of those art sales. Art sales are critical, ticket sales to the events. Those two regional events really help um, with program you know, costs. Um, mm-hmm. but yeah, it's, it's mostly individuals, some corporate sponsorships, but yeah. If someone wants to donate, how can they do that? Just right on our website, twistoutcancer.org. And then you'll see the donate button. Perfect. Right and yeah. so I was able to see the art from the exhibition that was a couple of weeks ago. Now with, I would assume that brushes, so painting is your main medium. Do you, in the, in the twist shops, do you do any other types of medium or is it all paint? Oh, it's, it's totally all different stuff. And okay. even with brushes, I mean, we had sculpture, we had spoken word, we've had oh, jewelry. Apparently I miss those. Photography. <laughs> no, no. I mean, we've had lots of different things um, happen. So we've had dance, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, so with, with uh, our twist shops, we usually try and recommend like Jackie or, or any of the, our facilitators will send out a list of supplies of materials together. And they're usually things that you would have around your house, especially if you have kids like myself. I mean, I have, you know, magic markers and temper paints and, you know, mm-hmm. things like that, but it's, it's a mix. It's a real mix. We're not really doing ceramics at home. That's hard. That would be really um, rough. Yeah. Be really hard and messy, but we're doing, you know, the, she's really wonderful at trying to get us to use different materials and make suggestions. So it's not straight up painting at all. I've actually never done painting with her. Okay. Are there, are there fees for the programs for the participants? Oh, we keep everything free. That is the goal. And that's why it's so important for us to fundraise throughout the year is that we do not want cost to be 
a reason why someone is not able to get involved with us. I mean, that is, that's well, especially to entry. If you're going through cancer treatment or even after it can really deplete your finances. And yeah. the, I mean, this programs like yours are so amazing and I, I, I applaud you. And that would, I figured that was the answer, but I just wanted to make sure because yeah. sometimes, you know, even a, a 40 or $50 registration fee can be such a hurdle, totally. but the fact that it is free, all they have to do is literally go on and sign up. Yeah. No, it's, it's was so top of mind because we are serving people with all different types of backgrounds, economic mm-hmm. backgrounds. And, and like you said, people that are in treatment, they have a lot of unbelievable financial strain. So we want to make sure that people can access our programs and that it's not cost prohibitive. We also, you know, I think it's important to note too, we rolled out a store, which has been wonderful. Oh, for that us. was my next question. Oh, that. Um, <laughs> So, you know, not everyone has wall space um, or can afford a big piece of art. You know, our art rate can range from $200 and we've had some pieces listed $6,000 and that is a huge range and not everyone has the means to be able to access that. Mm-hmm. So we have, what we started to do and it has been really beautiful is, you know, the key for us is also to have these stories live on and for people to be able to continue to tell the stories and to showcase the artists that have been involved with us. So we often turn a lot of the art into prints, into wearable items, into accessories. And that has been really another beautiful outlet and it's a great gift. So someone, I just sent actually, you know, a notebook, a journal to someone that um, is it St. Jude's that's, you know, been there for months, essentially as young boy, his mom reached out and said, I think he would love this. And that's an easy thing. And then we get to tell the story of the art and the inspiration behind the art. So for me, so much about this is about continuing to tell those stories. And I think the store has been a wonderful addition to being able to do that in a way that is more accessible for folks. Definitely. And I, I saw a candle on there that I have to have. So I'm going to oh, be going back on there later today. But... We have more stuff like that coming. Yeah. Oh, nice. And, and tote bags and notebooks. And it's really special because the art is just so beautiful. And the fact that it was created from these, the partnerships and those mainly come from brushes, I would imagine. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. So I can I, show you, actually, I have like some samples. You probably saw some of these. These are like just testers, mm-hmm. but that's an Israeli artist. And that was all done with one stroke. And oh, I mean, oh my gosh, have like a bunch of cool, you know, yes, things. there yeah. was definitely one that was like, I think a little red and pink flowery one. And that was, uh, oh, that's beautiful. An elephant. And then this one is really cool too. That's a shade of Banerjee who's based in Montreal. She's amazing. Oh, wow. Yeah. I love all that. No, so no, we're this, good for fun yes. stuff. Those of you who are listening on audio, make sure you go to the twistoutcancer.org and look in the store because there's some really cool stuff. And there's also apparel for sale and, you know, you can do shirts and stuff. Um, which brings me back to one thing. How did you come up with the logo? Um, can you describe it a little bit? Because it really brings in, I think so many, it brought in a lot of things for me, but what did it mean to you? Mm-hmm. Oh, so, you know, it, it, this is like, 11 years now when I was sitting down with this amazing designer, Steve Liska, who's been a part of twist from the beginning. He, he's just amazing. He runs a really beautiful marketing firm out of Chicago. He's also a cancer survivor. And, you know, I think what's interesting is that he knew that I didn't want this to be pink. Pink didn't resonate with me either. I mean, I'm not a breast cancer survivor, but I, I didn't want it to look gimmicky. Um, And I also felt like you know, there, there was this sort of continuum, right? Mm -hmm. So like, it's not about 
being diagnosed and then going into remission or then becoming cured. It is this constant sort of revolving experience and it continues on. It's not about, you know, hearing those words that you're cured for the cancer journey to end. Like I am still, uh, I'm still in survivorship and I'm still wrestling with things and that Mm -hmm. is how it's going to be. And so that twist is, is not only about putting your twist on cancer, but it's also really articulated in that visualization. And then for me, the red, we chose red, I think, because for me, obviously my cancer was in my blood and it resonated, but it's also super vibrant and bold. Mm-hmm. And that's how we've chosen to sort of approach all yeah. of this. So listeners, if you haven't seen the logo, um, it has twist on there, but it also has, and I, I, I hesitate to say these words, but they're very identifiable. Like imagine a little bit of a slinky, like part of it. And it's kind <laughs> totally. of, stre- it's yeah. kind of stretched out in a beautiful way. And it just, it flows so naturally. And that what you were talking about the continuum. And I really feel like it's everyone coming together and they're not separate. They're all connected. And yeah. I, th- I thought that was very special to me. And I actually remember seeing something this year in brushes that looked like it was a multiple medium with possibly like a, a bird or something that had like a twist uh-huh. on it. On the bottom. Uh-huh. And I was like, that is awesome. They totally like pulled that into that as well. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that was from this year, Alexandra Hart. Uh, who's mm-hmm. based out of New Orleans. Yeah, she was paired with Aaron Morrison. It was a beautiful piece with the bird and like, yeah, it looked like ribbon. Yeah, yeah, it was gorgeous. Um, and listeners, if you are interested in learning, like seeing more of these stories, go on the YouTube channel because there's all these little, just the videos about the inspiration and the artists working together. And if you need something to fill your heart today, definitely go there. Oh, thank you. Now you... Um, we talked about, you can go to the website. Do you have like a newsletter or anything like that goes out? We do. Yeah. So we actually, Lindsay Pannon does an amazing job with our newsletter. It's sent out sometimes twice a week that will update not only with stuff that's going on with twist, but also going on in the community and like important resources to be aware of. So that's a great way to stay connected with us. And if you are interested in participating as an inspiration and artist, we will always notify you about when applications are open for those, those programs that I had mentioned earlier. So you can subscribe on our website. That's easy. perfect. Now, what is next you have? Are you working on things moving forward for twists, like different ideas or different projects or just keep it flowing as it is right now? How's it going to look? Yeah, no. So we're celebrating our 10 year anniversary this year and we're doing it in a big way. We're, we're so lucky. Um, we are working with this unbelievable artist named Georgia Lupi, who's an Italian artist who's based in New York and she runs a firm called Graham and they have been analyzing 10 years of data for us and have turned that into Um, essentially that's going to be the cover of our, what I'm calling our coffee table book, which is a compilation of stories and visual representation of the art um, from the last 10 years. So I've been working with her and her team on putting this book out. So Mm -hmm. I'm going to be held accountable now, like you trying to get out (laughs) into the world. Um, So we're working with her. And then I have a dear friend, Inti Velez, who started this firm, Wanda Barcelona, which does all these beautiful installs for high-end jewelry and and fashion companies. And he's essentially putting his own twist on Georgia Lupi's work. Um, And these two installations will be in the Wonder Museum. And so we're working on the launch of the exhibition with Brushes with Cancer in the Midwest happening. So a lot going on. And that you said will be in November. Is that right? 
Yeah, so Brushes with Cancer is November 19th, and then you'll be able to see the 10-year exhibition at the Wonder Museum October and November. That's fabulous. Yeah, I definitely need to sign up for that newsletter. And I'm sure they'll be, we'll be notified in the newsletter when the book is ready to come out for sale. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Perfect. So what has been your greatest joy from founding this organization and seeing it to through to 10 years and beyond? So for me, you know, in the beginning, it was, Twist was so wrapped up with my story. Um, like, you know, I would get asked to speak at these things and I was just constantly telling my story and through telling my story, I did find that it really helped me heal and figure out what is important and what do I really want people to know? And I think what's been so nice is, you know, I do so few of these where I talk about my story from beginning to to now. Mm -hmm. And I love that I don't have to do much of it because there's so many other stories that are so beautiful that I get to talk about. And so for me, it's, no longer about me. This organization is not about me. It was about the, you know, the spark that I put out there and then we get to see what, what impact is made from that. And so I I think that there is such power in being able to come forward with your story and you just don't know who you're going to impact in the process. And I think that's, what's so beautiful about what you're doing, that you're highlighting stories and you don't know how that's going to impact others and what changes are going to be made. And so the fact that we have so many stories that we can now tell and that have really turned into beautiful relationships and beautiful art. I mean, that to Mm -hmm. me is a highlight. Yeah. It's cancer sucks, but you with twist are making it a more beautiful, the world, a more beautiful place for those who've gone through it. So kudos to you and your amazing staff for all that you do. So we are almost out of time. Any final words that you have for wisdom who's someone who's been diagnosed and feels isolated, obviously check out your program, but anything else that really comes to mind? I would just say to, to try and fight the the resistance or the desire to retreat. I think that that is a common thing that happens is listen, a cancer diagnosis is incredibly overwhelming and it can be paralyzing. And I think it's okay to be that way for a bit. But I think closing off and not connecting with loved ones and people that can help is makes the process that much harder. And it's okay to ask for help. It's okay to rely on others. And, you know, it's very powerful to be able to connect with other people that get it. So find your community. 100%. And I I cannot say that enough is I, I found my community at Breast Friends and now I do this and I literally, if you put me on a stage, I want to talk about it all day, the importance of advocacy and community and, um, and organizations like you. So thank you again, Jenna, so much for being here today. And I'm just so excited to be able to share your story. Thank you so much. Yeah. So listeners, you can find out all this information on twistoutcancer.org, find their YouTube channel, subscribe, donate, do all those things. So, but back to breast friends, if you or a loved one need our services, please go to breastfriends.org under patient programs to see what we can do for you. You can donate by texting BF radio to 41444 to ensure that no one goes through cancer alone or on our website. You can find the show on many platforms, wherever you find your podcasts or on the breast friends, YouTube channel, or here on voice America, their health and wellness channel. If you'd like to nominate yourself to be my guest or share your warrior story, email me at Michelle Beck at breastfriends.org. We'll be back next week. And until then, remember we rise by lifting each other. Thank you for listening to breast friends, cancer support network. Please join Michelle Beck again next Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific, 12 p.m. Eastern Time 
on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. We rise by lifting each other.